Thank you for joining the Maven's Private Diaries. I'm Susan, your Maven. And today's guest is Amanda Kate, a kinesiologist, mentor, mother and more. And I want to give a warning about today's conversation. We explore the power of owning that special word. See you next time or see you next Tuesday. We also talk about Amanda's experience with domestic violence. And considering that this episode has listened to people all over the globe, if this does raise any issues for you, please contact your local support agency, perhaps a relative, a friend, or if you need to, call your emergency number. So Amanda is the author of Divine Messy Human, a spiritual guide to prioritising internal truth over external influence. And she released the book with the information, tips and practices that have helped her move from being in self-loathing to self-acceptance, self-love and self-empowerment. So let's have a listen. I'd love to know your thoughts about this. So please drop me a message online. You can contact me on Instagram. You could share this podcast. You can find me on LinkedIn as Susan the Maven. Uh, Instagram is at the Spicy Boudoir or at Susan underscore the Maven. If this episode resonates with you, please tell me and please share it and like and help spread the word. Thank you for joining the Maven's Private Diaries, brought to you by thespicyboudoir.com, purveyor of high-quality, premium, body-safe pleasure products for the over-50s and people living with a disability. Hi, my name is Susan, and these are my private diaries. Occasionally, I will host a guest speaker or read out someone else's diary, with their permission, of course. Content warning. This podcast contains the occasional swear word, lewd comments and discussion around sex. Warning, warning. You will no doubt hear the emotional pangs of a woman who has lost her libido to menopause. Listen at your own risk and enjoy. Well, hello, Amanda Kate. Thank you very much for joining me at the Maven's Private Diaries. How are you today? Oh, I'm super excited. I have been wanting to, um, yeah, have a deeper chat with you for so, so long because I love your work. So I'm super excited. I'm buzzing. Well, I'm excited as well because I haven't spoken to a kinesiologist before and um, also very super impressed uh, that you've published a book and you share with me your the working title. <laughs> and I have to say this word because every woman who has a vulva, you know, we call it a cunt. Yeah. And, you know, we should own it. There's power in owning that word, whether you use it as see you next time or see you next Tuesday. Yeah. It's up to you. But that working title was don't let the cunts steal your bricks. Is that don't right? Don't let that cunt steal your bricks. Yeah. <laughs> so, so why don't you tell us what that is all about and what exactly is a kinesiologist? Yeah, absolutely. So the title actually came through a meditation that I had and it was when I went to a women's circle um, the night I found out I was in a domestic violence situation. So I went to the police station and they're like, uh, you need an IVO because you're in trouble. And I'm going, no, I'll be f-, you know, brushed it off, didn't want to think about it was obviously quite shocked because I'd never thought those words about myself that I was 
a domestic violence victim or, you know, thought that I would ever have the Salvation Army domestic violence unit ringing me to see if I needed help. And I got to this women's circle, my girlfriend drove, I was just in shock and crying and I don't remember a lot of it. But the moderator of the circle took us into a meditation. It was the usual thing, you know, you go into your garden and you sit down and you call in your inner wise person. And I was at the very beginning of my spiritual journey. So I was a little bit like, how much truth is there to this kind of stuff? You know, there was still that little bit of doubt. Anyway, my inner wise person came in and I saw me as like the little self and this is the big self that wrapped around me. And they said, right now that they're there, get a message from them. And so my inner wise person said, you have spent a lot of time rebuilding your foundations, which has been really, really needed. It's almost time for you to start building up. Just don't let that cunt steal your bricks. And I'm in the middle of this, just trying my hard not to just piss myself laughing. So I'm like, everybody else is in getting their wise messages. But the first thought I had was, that is so my inner wise person. <laughs> Go you. <laughs> yeah, so it was quite funny. And again, um, as you were saying before, it took me a long time to own that word. Mm. I hated it. I thought it was crass and crude and vulgar and all the rest of it, all the things that we're taught to think about it. Um, and one of my girlfriends when I was living in the UK had been to see the vagina monologues. Oh, yes. And she said to me, you've got one, you shouldn't be offended by it. You've got to own this. And so we sat in my living room, my children were asleep upstairs, screaming cunt and drinking wine. She said, I'm going to make you scream it until you're comfortable with it. And I haven't had a problem with it since. <laughs> For people who are listening to this, if you're not watching me on camera, I, I'm trying to hold on to my shit and not laugh because I will lose it seriously. And uh, if I'm laughing, I, I'm not breathing and I will pass out. I, I've just got this image of these two women Absolute gone off their tits. Yeah. Completely. Fantastic. What a wonderful yeah. to have on your deathbed. And oh, all. it was just brilliant. And and it's funny, you know, again, saying that word, when I went on holiday with my partner in October, I'd just gone, we did a bit of a road trip. And every now and then I'd just, because I'm in the moment, I'd say to him, oh, I love you. And he's like, you've told me about six times today. And so I just turned around and went, you're a cunt. <laughs> And so then for the rest of the holiday, every time I wanted to say, I love you, I was changing it to, you're a cunt. And he just he caught him off guard every single time and he'd just be in stitches. But it certainly lightened the mood. Yeah, but it's a cunt that you love. Oh, absolutely, 100%. It can yeah. be a term, a term of endearment as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, I think, you know, yes, women have cunts and... Um, as you said before, the word has been taken away from us mm, and yeah. used in a vulgar way. Mm. You know, we can bleed for up to five days and or more. For mm. some, we don't die. How powerful yeah. is that? Oh, 100%. And if you think about most of the words for male genitalia can be used again as a bit of an insult, but most of them are more lighthearted, more jovial, more jokey, less less nasty and yet this one has been taken and it's it can be used as that really disgusting 
it's like the worst thing you can have. Mm. And you go, actually, no, all of you came out of one. Well, true, true, true. <laughs> but it's not discriminatory um, no. on gender because no. anybody can be a cunt. doesn't matter <sighs> how you identify. You can yeah. be a cunt. Um, I don't think anyone's ever called me a prick. I think... Uh... Uh, I probably have because I used to hang around with a lot of blokes. Yeah. So I probably have had that one. Woman a prick, <laughs> I don't know. I, think- I probably, I just, I figure I've heard most of it by now. But yeah, it was funny when it came to marketing the book, I ended up, I was really panicking because I thought, you know, I went back to that song about Warren Beatty. You probably think this book is about you. Yes. And I went, I just don't want the angst by marketing it under that. So I went for the more marketable title of Divine Messy Human, but everybody who has known the secret book club title is what I've been calling it. Um, When they put the order through on my website, they respond to the message and they just go, secret book club title, please. Or you can actually buy it with that title on Amazon worldwide and Kindle. Excellent. Fantastic. (laughs) Pretty cool. So, So what is it about exactly? It is a real mix of, I guess, what got me from this place of self-hatred to effectively allow myself to be in an abusive relationship for so long. And when I say that, there's no blame in that. It is the life happens for you, not to you, which I can see because I'm out of it. You say this to anybody in it and they want to get violent with you. They want to punch you Mm. because let's face it, we don't want this when we're in the messy middle, we want to come out the other side and we can see it. So now that I've got that distance, I can see, I knew every single day in that marriage where the door was and I could have walked out of it. So something in me chose to stay. Now, probably a good number of years, way too long because I ended up very sick because of it. But I literally used to hate myself. And so while you hate yourself, you put up with a lot of abuse from other people because nothing compares to the abuse you're giving yourself. And as I found kinesiology and delved into it more, and kinesiology is this blend of Western science and Eastern wisdom. So it brings in quantum physics and energy healing. It understands that everything is vibration and frequencies and also that the body has an innate ability to heal itself. So as we work in that, I felt like I was learning how to human again. All of the stuff that I was going through, it would come up in sessions on the table in class and people would look at me like, that's really not normal. And I'd go, what do you mean? And they'd have to explain what more, I mean, I know obviously normal is a terrible word, but it's the best one I have right now. But they would tell me what was a healthier response or reaction what you should and shouldn't put up with again not great words but they're the only ones i have right now and i'd be going oh oh, i get it now that makes sense so i really felt like i was learning how to human again and this book sort of covers a lot of the big ticket things that i learned and look almost every chapter could be an entire book in itself and also i've gone deep enough that People have a couple of exercises to do. I've given a bit of the psychological, more sciencey background, as well as then what people consider the woo-woo energetic side of things. But actually the two things aren't that dissimilar. If you think about science and spirituality, the idea of it is to come up with hypotheses and ask a lot of questions to see if those hypotheses stand up or not. Both require a lot of faith 
both require a lot of curiosity if you want to be good at them. And the way I often look at spirituality is it is the stuff that can't often be measured, even though nowadays they're making massive breakthroughs on that. It's stuff that can't be measured. So somebody once said to me, I don't believe in all that spiritual stuff. I said, okay, so you don't believe in things that can't be measured. How much do you love your partner and your children? Put it in a beaker. Measure it. Measure it out for me. How many mils? How many grams? Well, I can't. Mm. Okay, so you can't measure it. So that means you don't love them by your premise. And it's kind of like, oh, Mm. oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah. Very clever. I'll I'll, um, think of that next time I'm having a debate with my um, teenage stepchild. So how did you, well, you've talked about how you came to this journey. So this is now your career, isn't it? Yeah, it is. What was your life before the change to kinesiology? You in the corporate world? Were you? I gave up my job to be a full-time mother. Mm -hmm. Um, Looking back, I now understand the control part of why that was the choice for our family. Um, but part of it was when I went back to work after my son, we lived in Hertfordshire and my job was in London. So I would have to leave and it would be a two hour round trip. By the time I dropped my son off to nursery school, came back, got the train into work and got across London from where we were living. And so it meant that I wasn't getting into the office until 10 o'clock. But I would have left home because I couldn't drop him off till 8 a.m. or something like that. So it was just crazy. And with my second pregnancy, so I returned to work for a bit. And then with my second pregnancy, I was so unwell. Mm. And it got to a point where it was just unsustainable for me to travel that long, being as sick as I was. So we made the decision then that I'd give up. Mm-hmm. And then every time I tried to do something else, it always got in the way of family. There was always an excuse. It was taking my time away from looking after the kids, basically, because my ex-husband really, until we moved here, didn't have much to do with our children. Wherever possible, he would leave them to me or farm them off to his parents or it wasn't very hands-on. And so there was this aspect of me going, well, if I farm the children out to nursery school, I'm still going to have to be doing all the running around, all the cooking, all the working, all the things. And my ex-husband used to travel a lot for work. And so it became, well, what kind of job can I do? So anyway, it all just got a bit too hard. I stayed at home. I loved it. I loved it. I mean, I was a single mother, which I really didn't like. I wish I had that partnership and connection. And one of the saddest things still in my life and something I still grieve, even though I've healed over it, I still grieve. I never understood and I was never treated as this magical being when I was pregnant. Mm. Understanding the spiritual side of all of that now, especially through the archetypal work I've done, to not be honoured and adored through that process while I was bringing children into the world Mm. is still one of those things that, you know, pulls at my heart a lot. And 
I think there was just a lot of that kind of stuff going on. It wasn't nourishing. It wasn't nurturing. It wasn't a pleasant, you know, place to be. And so actually when he was out of the house, it was fabulous. Mm -hmm. The kids and I would have our adventures. And most of the time from the time the kids woke until they went to bed, he wasn't around. And so we just had our own beautiful little bubble and it was lovely in certain ways. Um, And I often said, I'm a single mum with a paycheck coming in. But yeah, and then when we moved to Australia, um, my ex-husband had to step up and he had to become more of a father, especially because we moved away from my family as well. He went, if we're moving back to Australia, we cannot live near your family, Mm. which who are in Adelaide. And so we moved to Melbourne to make sure that I had enough distance. So there was still this isolation aspect Mm. going on. Um, and so when we separated, that was really the first time he had to step up and be a dad. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, cause I'd gotten so unwell, I had chronic fatigue, all sorts of health and hormonal problems. Kinesiology really was that thing that tapped. It, it was the door that I walked through mm. to find myself again. And was it someone who introduced you to kinesiology or you met a, a practitioner and started to have some treatment? <clears throat> Well, I went to my doctor to get a mental health care plan because I'd been abused on this holiday that we went on and I came back an empty shell of a human being. I was wondering if it was even worth me being here. So I went to my doctor and got a mental health care plan because, again, I was the broken one and rang this psychologist that I knew worked in a mindfulness way and I was really interested in that, being a bit more holistic with my healing. And... They couldn't get me in for the mindfulness course until the end of the May. And then it was into the psychologist around the middle of the May. And this was the middle to end of April. And the receptionist said to me, look, it's a long wait. Can you just give me a little bit of what's going on? So I gave the socially acceptable thing, which was, you know, my husband works long hours, my, you know, youngest child He's angry because she can't go to school. So she has up to four hour tantrums that I'm dealing with. And my son was physically harmed 13 times in 26 weeks at his first school in Australia. So all of a sudden we've gone from having this bubbly young boy who wanted to go to school and loved it to this child who was having tummy aches and anxiety and all sorts. And she just said to me, who's got your back? Mm. And I was like, I have been having tests for years. Not one person has ever asked me that question. And she said, it sounds like you're under a lot of stress. Have you thought about kinesiology? And I'm like, I have no idea what that is, but book me in. I'm willing to try anything. And that first session, she said to me, you have no idea how emotionally abused you are, do you? Mm. So she saw it in our first session at the end of the April. And the police didn't tell me about it until the following March. So it was nearly 12 months. Mm -hmm. I didn't actually wake up to the fact that my biggest emotional abuser was in my bed for four months. Mm. I can't imagine the the, uh, the depth of (coughs) awakening in you when you realised that that was actually what was happening. Mm. Oh, it's devastating because you think... I thought I was getting an A plus. My mum always said relationships are hard work. So I just thought I was overachieving. This is amazing. My marriage is really super hard. So I'm doing really, really well at it. And 
yeah, having that realisation was devastating. Mm. Having, like I say, the domestic violence Salvation Army unit ring me was, and I still remember being on the phone to them going, oh, look, other people have it worse. No, I'll be okay without your help. And now I look back and I'm going, oh, my God, how naive. I should have said, yes, what help can you give me and can you get me out of the house? Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't. And so I ended up living under the same roof as my ex-husband for six months after divorce mm-hmm. and it was horrible. And yeah. Can I ask, you're safe now, aren't you? Oh, 100% yes. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Thanks yeah. So. Thank goodness. Um, It's certainly something that I had to do a lot of work on because, again, after divorce, I didn't want to welcome in the same type of relationship. Mm -hmm. And so, again, through kinesiology, through the life coaching that I've done, which is archetypal life coaching, through so many different modalities and different practitioners, I really worked hard on healing all of the stuff inside me that was attracting that kind of relationship in. Mm -hmm. And it really has, you know, my partner is loving and respectful and kind and all of the things that I didn't even really know existed in a partnership before mm. this one. So, yeah. Yeah. I, <clears throat> when I'm talking about being a single mother in your marriage, I, I've been there as well. Mm. I was very fortunate, uh, even though my uh, marriage had its drawbacks, um, Physically and emotionally, I was safe. There was no Mm. abuse. Um, There was certainly a big disconnect between who we were and the way that we loved. And um, uh, it's something I've talked about and written about as part of my journey. But um, I'm grateful that um, I didn't experience domestic violence Mm. in that regard. But I certainly do feel when you're a single parent, and when you feel like a single parent inside a marriage, yeah, it can be the loneliest place because it should not be like that. You should no. be a partnership. Yeah. So um, that's an incredible, mm. <clears throat> excuse me, journey that you've had to go through to get yeah. to where you are today. So, and it gave me a lot. It really did. And I think that whole platitude of life happens for you not to you is so true I've learned so much I now help you know clients who are in a similar position I've helped people leave their marriages and I've helped people save their marriages just by changing you know and to me as I've said the outcome actually doesn't matter the important thing is that you are okay through Mm. the journey Mm. doesn't matter if it's a yes no (laughs) maybe you know whatever you choose to do it's about you being okay Mm. and it's amazing to watch both sides, really, those ones where people leave and are happier and healthier and more whole. And it's equally wonderful seeing those people who just go just by connecting differently. I can now stay instead of leave. Mm. You know, both are amazing. Mm. What you say about um, the experience, it's true. But we all go through terrible experiences, some, you know, on different gradients of Mm. um, the intensity. But it's what we take away from that experience and how we incorporate it into our lives. It all boils down to choice and choosing whether to let it crush and destroy you or to rise above. And if I can just do a shout out about a book, 
um, The Power to Rise Above, which is a collection of about 30 stories of women. Oh, wow. Similar to yourself. Um, I'm in there, a couple of other people from the She's the Boss group, mm. where we're all sharing our wisdom about how we chose to rise above. Amazing. The, the experience. And, and some of them are very, very traumatic. There's a couple mm. of stories of domestic violence, sexual abuse as children. There was a story of one of the women, she was actually tortured by one of her parents. Mm. And, you know, and, and to come through that, and not let it define you i mean it's part of her life it will never go away but she doesn't let it interfere <coughs> with being a productive person who mm. loves life yeah so um it's interesting so i am really curious to know more about kinesiology it's not something i've gone and experienced if I walked into or booked a session with you, what would you do with me? So the first thing is we just have a chat and I'm listening not just to what you are saying, I'm also listening to what you're not saying and what your body is saying and all of the things. So active listening is a huge, huge part of it. And sometimes that initial conversation, because I need to know your full personal history, sometimes that can take 45 minutes. So people often go, how many sessions do I need? Well, it depends on how much trauma you've got and how much stress you've got. And when we look at day-to-day -day stress, and most people haven't had a balance, you know, a kinesiology type balance or a somatic therapies type balance. And so you could have 40, 50, 60 years of stress all piled up mm. and not even quite know where to start. And so the chat is really, really important. It gives me a lot of really good information. And then it's about getting you up on the table or if it's online, I tune into you and I muscle test on myself and we start the clearing process. And so the way I look at the first few sessions is it's almost like getting a bobcat into the back garden and clearing out some big layers of stuff. And then as we move through, the longer you work with me, it's like we start getting out the little archaeologist brush and we're just fine tuning here and there to make some of those changes a reality. And I find that just beautiful. One of the things I love about kinesiology is I have clients who come in and we're going really, really sciencey. We're talking about gut health and the way the body systems are talking to each other and all of these bits and pieces. And then other sessions will be going, I guess, spiritual and woo woo and a little bit out there. And I love that there is that broadness of what it covers and how it covers it to be able to bring together what you need for your highest good in healing. And it's so insightful because what we're doing is we're finding the emotions that are stuck in your body that are keeping these patterns stuck in place. And that's actually a really One dog or two dogs? Just the one. I thought I should pause until he stopped so that you can edit that bit out. <laughs> it's a really incredible way to look at things in terms of what the seeds are that are planted and what we've been feeding them with. Mm. And that is those emotions that are stuck there. That is the stories that we've created around that. 
you know, just taking me writing a book, for example, it only dawned on me maybe three or four months ago that part of my resistance to ever putting a book out there was because I used to write really out there stories as a child. I had an incredible imagination. I would talk about death, destruction, you know, I would have people write themselves off in cars and crash their cars into a wall and die. Like, but in my child brain, if I didn't know how to end a story, I'd kill people off. Now, yeah, okay, that's practical. A little bit crazy, but, you know, I'm coming to the end of the page and the teachers said, you've got to finish up now. All right. Oh, everyone's dead. That's it. (laughs) Can't get more final than that, can you? But my mother used to trot those stories out because she used to find them funny and she'd trot them out with her friends and all of that. Now, again, she didn't intend to harm me with this. My mum is very, very loving. And also it doesn't matter how loving and wonderful our parents are, they do cause us harm and trauma. I've traumatized my children. Mm. Trauma is anything that we store in our body that is less than nourishing and nurturing for us. So if you look at just that, so the seed is planted that I bring these stories home, mum laughs at them. And then every time they are trotted out and I'm laughed at again, Mm. it is more deeply embedding the shame, the embarrassment, the humiliation. And then of course I make the stories up around it. Well, I'm not a good writer. I shouldn't be writing. Who are you to put that work out there? And so releasing the book was this real challenge for me. Mm. But if, and what we do in kinesiology is we go back to that initial event and we vibrationally change it so that the story doesn't have as much pull as it used to. Mm. Mm. We don't change your past. We change the way that it vibrationally sits in the body. So instead of being this big brick in your stomach or this massive fear in your chest, it's got a breath to take. It's got a neutrality to it. And that, for me, is the magic of it. Mm, mm. Uh, as you've been explaining this, I've been thinking about my own experiences as a child mm. and um, that shame, moment of shame, I've got a few of them throughout because up until about the age of 12, I was wetting the bed mm. and my one of my parents was... Um, I guess at a loss as to how to deal with this, and I and I know from being a parent myself, it's a lot of work when mm. you have a child who's wetting the bed every day. Um, the way I managed it with in my family was just uh, with respect and kindness, mm. and um, but as a child, I was I was look. teased all the time made to feel dirty made Mm. to feel shamed I was shamed in front of my school friends about it when I was about 11 and I've that particular memory has only just I've only just taken the edge off that Mm. by writing about it in the power to rise above yeah but it still sits within me I I can feel it Mm -hmm. even just I can it's like shards of glass yeah. sitting inside of my body. And it's, I love the way that you describe that because that is that irritation under the surface mm. that doesn't actually belong there. So if you think of a shard of glass, your body does whatever it can to try and get it out. Mm. Mm. 
And that's kind of what we're doing in kinesiology is we're removing those shards of glass. We're removing the, the, the stress and tension that is held in the body by having all of the stories that we've created around that. Mm. And it is phenomenal. I think back to some of my really big abuses and I have no emotional charge sitting in my body anymore. When you think about that. When I think about them. And I can talk about them now without, mm. it, it used to be that I couldn't talk about any of it without just bursting into tears yeah, or was... welling up. Mm. Whereas now it just, it's just a part of me. There's nothing to fight against. There's nothing to resist. It just is. And that isness, that neutrality around it is where I've found my peace. Mm. I can't wait to publish this episode because I'm going to share it with someone that I know and love who at the moment they cannot talk about their mother mm. without breaking down, tearing up because there's just so much tension and fear and eggshells. So um, the scary thing with our parents is, they are all actually doing the best they can with the tools they have available to them, as are all of us. I think it is a very rare person indeed that wakes up in the morning and goes, you know what, I'm really going to fucking annoy this person today and I'm going to hurt them so much that they end up in tears and that 20 years later they're still traumatised by it. Mm. I think mo for most people it is a collection of unresourceful behaviours built by what is happening in their subconscious from their own shame, guilt, anger, embarrassment, conditioning stories, etc. So a lot of people don't realize that they're causing such harm. I knew I was causing harm to my children, but I could not change my behaviors until I left the marriage because I could not change in that environment. Mm. And even now we laugh at the difference in me, you know, old mum versus new mum. And <laughs> it is beautiful to see the relationship that I've been able to build with my children since that's happened. Mm. And one of the big things that really helped me with that was the archetypal life coaching that I do, whereby we clear all the negative influences of mum and dad. Because let's face it, they're the ones who have the most conditioning within us because they were I've I, and I've cleared it from people whose you know dads left when they were weeks old. Mm. I've had people clear it from you know their dad dying at seven or eleven or whatever, because there are still these aspects later in life where people are getting angry at their dad because they're not around or because they missed out. So being able to let go of all of that negative influence, resource our inner children so that they are really becoming part of us rather than parts that are split off and hidden away. You know, that, that writer part of me who was ashamed of the story she wrote, mm. I still feel her there. It's just now I can go, darling, what you have to say matters. I love you so much. Please just get creative and write. Don't worry about the judgment. Mm. And so I can parent that part of me in a much more graceful and compassionate way than I could have had I not cleared all of the shit that sat around it. Mm -hmm. And that's a phenomenal place to mm -hmm. be. So on that point of 
clearing all the shit mm, yeah. that surrounds us. Um, I'm particularly interested because, you know, like sex mm. and sexuality is one of my favourite topics. Yeah. Have you worked <coughs> with um, people who have utilised kinesiology to help either release trauma or to advance their uh, communication and the way they feel mm. about themselves in the bedroom? Yeah, absolutely. Because let's face it, one of the biggest relationships we have is with ourselves. Now, for me, growing up in a church environment, there was no talk about self-pleasuring. There was no talk about masturbation. There was no talk about, you know, even sex. It was very much a trial or error. Mm -hmm. And the shame around it, the guilt around it, those big emotions, and a lot of what we do in kinesiology is clear the shame and the guilt. The other thing is our sacral chakra, which is our womb space. And people of all genders have a womb space. That's how we can create in the world. Even if we don't physically have a womb, we all have that womb space energy within us where we implant our ideas. We nurture them until they grow to fruition. And then we send them out into the world. And so using that energy actually ties into our throat chakra. If we can't express our creativity in the world, then we are naturally stunted. Mm. And so balancing those two chakra centers specifically can really, really help with that, as can working through those shame stories, the guilt stories, the church conditioning, the Puritan. I mean, let's face it, most of the world, once they separated God up and put him, you know, in a cloud and make made him, you know, vengeful and fire and brimstone rather than us being part of the goddess, mm -hmm. they ruled through fear and through making us believe that our natural desires were dirty and wrong, sins of the flesh and pleasures of the flesh. Well, you know what? We are here to experience pleasure and joy and unctuousness and sumptuousness and we're here to have juicy big lives mm, exactly and most people can't tap into that because there are too many layers of that historical puritanism as well as that patriarchal culture of comparison and control and fear and you think of the messaging women get you're either a slut or you're, you know, a goody two-shoes. Where, where's all the middle ground? Well, can I just take back that word slut? Is oh. I own with pride. I'm an ethical slut. Mm, fantastic. Um, slut, I'm pretty sure um, I read, it's again, one of the oldest words in the English language, mm. and it was used um, Oh, what's the word? You know, it was a basically a compliment. It was yeah. you enjoyed and owned their sexuality. And, and so many words have been weaponized in that way. So I love that you bring that up. Um, have you read the book Pussy by Mama Gina? I know of it. Um, the so book I that I love is called The Ethical Slut. Oh, I'm going to look that one up. Um, polyamory, but you don't have to be polyamorous to read that book. It's mm. um, fantastic particularly about communication and dealing with jealousy. Mm. We all deal with jealousy at some point. Of course, because we're human. 
<laughs> that's right. <laughs> and yeah. I think we forget sometimes um, that we're divine and messy. Ah, hundred percent. So do you think? Um, so obviously, kinesiology could benefit women who are struggling to experience orgasm. Oh, absolutely. Because let's face it, we all have the ability to get there. Mm. What stops us is the stories. Yes. The shame and the guilt and the programming and the conditioning, both from family, society, school, like you name it, it's all in there. Mm. And so we need to be able to uncover that aspect and to be able to know that pleasuring the flesh is part of what we're here for on this 3D plane. It's not just all about shutting off from the flesh and having a spiritual experience. If we were supposed to be doing that, we'd be in the spirit world, not on this 3D plane where we do have all of our senses. We've got sight and taste and touch and smell and we're here for that. Mm. I mean, the clitoris has the most nerve endings in the entire body. We are built for pleasure. When I die, I'm going to donate my clitoris to science. <laughs> awesome. They can have my brain as well. Yep. <laughs> but they can definitely have my clitoris. <laughs> uh, and your clitoris will keep working until you die. Um, mm-hmm. Like I have a plan to stay sexual uh, for as long as I can. And I know that, you know, there is truth behind use it or lose it. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that I'm out there having sex every day or touching myself every day, but it's definitely on my schedule and activity <coughs> daily living. Mm. But I, I love that you say that. I think the other thing we've got to remember is sex is so much broader than just than, than that. Yeah. Than just touching ourselves or, or yeah. playing with genitals. It yeah. is so much more. I mean, I have had conversations with people where I honestly feel like my brain's had a little orgasm because it's been yeah. such an incredible conversation. And you're like, oh, my God, like, this is like. amazing. Yeah. I've had, I mean, I remember there was a time where almost every time I meditated, I, without actually having an orgasm, I would have that same feeling energetically through my body. I meditated a lot around that time. Because it was the same as having one without having one, and it was insane. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, there was this one time at band camp. (laughs) I had to throw that in, but I have found um, intellect Mm. is usually quite erotic for me, those deep and meaningful conversations where you do, you you get the cerebral Mm. orgasm. Yeah. And I heartily believe that our orgasms reside in our mind, in our head, and that our clitoris, and I'm speaking for women, of course, because I'm a woman, is a doorbell to that orgasm. And, like, I struggled for a long time to have an orgasm while I was with somebody and being Mm. it. That actually didn't happen for me until I married my ex-husband. And I really believe when I look back at, well, you know, he wasn't the best in bed and um, things, you know, pretty ordinary. But the fact that I was in this emotional safe space uh, and I, and also a lot of fantasy mm. um, that I was able to achieve 
or experience an orgasm together. Um, whereas before, never. I had had quite a few partners. I'd never actually had an orgasm in the same room as somebody else. Always. And I find that so sad. And how many women still say in the research how often it hurts them, mm. how often it's not pleasurable at all. And that just makes me devastated because I think everybody should be, you know, at least given the opportunity to explore it. And I think often when we're in those spaces, it is, it's about the guilt, the shame, the conditioning, all of that stuff that is layered there in the way. Yeah. It's like, it's like a pack of cunts have built a a brick wall, basically. They took all your bricks. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. It's time for us to take them back. <laughs> Rebuild our own little God. sexy houses. Oh, this has been amazing. I um I, I'm we got this interview together so quickly I haven't even had a chance to look at your book. Oh, don't worry. We've uh I I just love that we were able to have a chat. I've as soon as I I remember we met uh the first time, I think it was during the lockdowns when I was attending some networking thing. And I was like, oh, I really must connect. And then met again. Yeah. Yes. Now I remember. <laughs> yeah. And then we've met again and I'm like, oh, there she is. I've got to get in contact. And so, yeah, it's been that a while. Yeah. <laughs> that was last year. And, you know, and since then I've become a grandmother. Wow. And what you were saying before um, about not being honoured while you were pregnant. Mm carrying this beautiful miracle in you and being seen as a goddess Mm. I have no doubt whatsoever that if you're in the position of becoming a grandmother you will pay that forward oh 100% whoever your daughter or your daughter-in-law and um, they're going to be so lucky Mm. to have someone like you in their life Mm. Um, I've loved I would hate to think that anybody else goes through what I went through, Mm. you know, and that is part of the reason I do the work that I do Mm. is so that other people don't have to go where I've been. There is. I I know we're getting close to the end of our Mm. time together today, but I really feel that there's, I mean, there's obviously the missing element of relationship and sex education Mm. to community. Yeah. But there's a missing element of this spirituality, whether it's fostered in religion mm-hmm. um, or nature or Hinduism or Buddhism or mm. uh, Islam. There's this element of spirituality, I think, that we're all growing up without. Yes. And it's only when we reach a crisis point yeah. that, the universe, I, I, I'm a believer in the universe, okay? So to me, your story of going to your doctor and not being able to get in and then that person recommending that, to me that's the universe or oh, divine spirit absolutely. guiding you to there. So mm. I'm so pleased that you've arrived at this point mm. and and you, I love your voice. I, I don't know if you've had anyone compliment you I have, so thank you. It is well received. <laughs> yes, there's um, there's a timber to it, and I don't mean timber trees. No, I know what you mean. <laughs> R-E, not E-R. Yeah, timber and a tone. 
that exudes warmth and this deep spiritual connection. Um, and, and I have really enjoyed listening to you. Oh, thank you so, so much. I've loved chatting with you and I cannot wait to do this again. <laughs> I know. I'm going to have you back. I think even um, I'll put it to you on camera. Yep. You want to do me publicly so that people can see you in action. You're more than welcome. Yeah. Do that with me and we yeah. should hear so people can see and hear Always. you working through my trauma. Yeah. We can, I'm more than happy to do some of that if you want. All right. Yeah. Well, let's, um, let's talk to my agent. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. No, it sounds fantastic. I would love to. I'd be honoured. All right, Amanda. Look, thank you again so much. I'm so glad that you reconnected. I think the universe again has brought us back into each other's circles mm. and um, I can't wait to do this again. Oh. Wonderful. Thank you so, so much. I look forward to it. And thank you so much for bringing the light into the world that you do. It is so needed. You. So you are very appreciated. And on that note, make sure if you're listening, please touch yourself tonight. Thank you for listening to the Maven's Private Diaries. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and took away some wisdom, chuckles or inspiration. Let me know your thoughts either positive or constructive, uh, you could leave me a review on your listening app. So this podcast is the property of Susan Jarvis, me, the Maven. For inquiries, please visit www.thespicyboudoir.com.